Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Well, we've been enjoying the word. How many have been enjoying numbers? Reading the numbers? How many are hoping we can get through some of the Pentateuch and get onto some other parts of the Bible? <laughs> How many have been surprised you found some good stuff in here, though? Eh? How many kind of surprised, but it's been good fun. Isn't it amazing that there is a book in the Bible called Numbers? How many know God's into numbers? How many, how many people were in the upper room? Thank you. Praise Jesus. Last night they struggled. I was like, we didn't have any Pentecostals here last night. I was like, how many upper room? Uh, I was like, oh. Still a good meeting, but I mean, no Pentecostals. 120. How do we know there was 120 in the upper room? Somebody counted. There was somebody there going, oh. 119. Oh, there's Peter was out in the bathroom. 120. <laughs> How many folks came to Jesus that day? 3,000. How do we know that? Somebody was counting. Some people say numbers doesn't matter, but numbers, it's a book in the Bible. Numbers matter. God's a good God. Isn't he a good God? All right, I'm, we're, we're in numbers, a lot of stuff in numbers. I've moved ahead a couple of days, so, but gonna, you know, Phineas, that Phineas story where, you know, the, the guys who uh, backslid, backslid because of Balaam's advice there, and, and uh, but uh, then Phineas came and ran a sword right through two people while they were in the act there, and God said, good job, Phineas, and special mention of Phineas, that was good, right? Okay, number 16, 46 to 48. And Aaron took it as Moses commanded, and he ran in the midst of the assembly. Now, here is a, a plague. Now, now, when you read numbers, how many notice that very, very often, where does the plague begin? It begins on the edges, right? I wouldn't sit in the back row. I wouldn't sit on the edges. I press in. Because yeah, and, and folks, the word says judgment begins in the house of God. So anyway, just just throwing that out there. But so, you, but if you're on the fringe, you know when the when the cloud moved, move, and uh, when people who didn't move with the cloud, they got they got attacked by the Amalekites. You know, so if you get you know lackadaisical with your faith and kind of ah, you know, uh, you know that's that's where the enemy comes in and tries to take advantage of you. All right, so here's one of those plagues. Boom, I mean, attack comes on the people, and Aaron told Moses, he said, come on, you get in there, get your censer, run into the altar, get some fire off the altar. Where did the fire from the altar come from? God. That same fire is the fire that burned on that altar. Every time the tabernacle moved, they had to pack up some fire, and they had to take that fire with them. And when they got to the new place and set up the tabernacle, they took that fire, and it was that fire that lit up the altar, lit up the altar of incense. They had the same fire. Never once did they flick their bick. Never once did they create their own fire. Never once, except where we had the strange fire with Aaron's two sons, and 
Holy fire always consumes strange fire. You do strange fire, holy fire is always going to come and manifest the authentic. So whenever there's strange fire, the holy fire, God's authentic fire always comes. But run in and get the fire. So your sensor, I really believe your sensor, they all had sensors. Your sensor is your gifting, your calling. It's what God's wired you with. God's given you something. He's skilled you. He's, he's called you. And, you know, use your calling. Get fire on your calling. And I love what Aaron did. Aaron, he ran. And I love this. He put incense on his sensor and he ran and he made atonement for the people. He made atonement for the people. And I love this. He stood between the dead and the living. He stood between the dead and the living and the plague stopped. There is a plague of death right now. People out there are sitting there as objects of the wrath of God. There are people who are lost. There are people who are dominated by the devil, by sin, by a fear of death. There's all kinds of people. There is a plague happening in London right now. Every day there are people going to a lost eternity. God has gifted you and placed you and called you and put you in there every week you are out there and every week he's called you to take your calling and stand between life and death and set people free from that lost doom that is everybody's end because the wages of sin is death and God has gifted you God you know you're not just doing a job you're not just there getting by he has placed you in a community where you are to speak into the lives of people where you where you eat most often where you go shopping where you go that should be the place where you stand every day between life and death and you command life to come into expression you stand between that and you call people into the glory of God that's good but I'm not preaching on that that was good, I, but, you know, I want you to see Jesus there, but I'm not going to preach on that. Numbers 21, 7 to 9. And the Lord said to Moses, make a, fire, a, a fiery serpent and set it on a, a pole, a serpent of bronze, and, and set it up so that everyone who is bitten, when he looks, he will live. Say, look, live, look, live. There's another plague, another, another situation where they grumbled or complained. I don't know if you read Numbers, you should really say, Lord, deliver me a grumbling. Well, we're in the new covenant, so grumbling doesn't affect me. Trust me, grumbling affects you. You, know, you might not have a serpent crawl into your house and bite you because you grumble because you've been set free from all But these people, I mean, they're always grumbling against their leaders and frustrated and never satisfied. But, you know, boom, they got this plague of serpents comes in. And so the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks shall live. So imagine you got bitten, and then somebody tells you, you know, if you get bitten, all you got to do is look at that serpent on a post, and you'll be set free. Oh, come on. Looking at a little serpent on a post is going to set us free from snake bite. I'm telling you, Moses told us. God told him, set that up. And if you just look and then just look, that's it. Just look. And this poison that's working in my body right now, the pain, the agony I'm feeling right now, are you telling me that just looking at that serpent on a stick is going to set me free from this creeping death that's in my body? Yes. It may seem brutally simple, but the Lord commanded him to do it. He did it. Look and live. Wow. And you know what? Everyone who looked was set free. Every person. So he made the bronze serpent. He put it on a pole. And if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Say, look and live. Look and live. Look and live. That's our message today. Look and live. And I'll tell you, it's also a message about Jesus. Why? Because it says right here in John chapter 3. 
John chapter 3, 14 and 15. Here's Jesus talking to a religious leader, talking to Nicodemus. Another Nick at Night episode, Nick at Night. And then he came and he's talking to him. And he says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And it's so simple. I mean, this whole transaction, the spiritual transaction of entering into life, it's so simple. He said, and let me tell you what it's like. It's like this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now, this is the New Testament explaining the Old Testament for us. God was in the Old Testament trying to show that simple faith is how you get the benefits of God manifest in your life. Simple faith. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, and was, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes, who believe, you had to believe. You had to believe the message, look and live. You had to believe. Are you kidding me? I just got to look at that and live? I'm totally healed. Those who believe, those who look, they receive the benefit. And Jesus said, I was that serpent in the wilderness. He said, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe in the simplicity of the gospel, that you can look and you're free from any impending doom, sin, wrath, or anything, simply because you believed on the finished work of the cross? I love that. Settle down, I know, it's exciting. And that's all awesome, but I'm not going to preach about that. Numbers 23, verse 8. Balaam, I mean, how many chapters were dedicated to Balaam? Were you reading about Balaam? Anybody reading about Balaam? So Balaam, I mean, you got, you got King Balak. And back in their culture, if you're going to take out another nation, it's not about who's got the best army. It's about who has the best God. It's about who's cursed and who's blessed. And so Balak said, man, those guys had a pretty cool track record. They'd taken out some people. So if I'm going to encounter them, I want to make sure they're cursed before I encounter them. So he gets a seer. He gets a guy who's a, a, a divinator. This guy might have had prophetic abilities, but he wasn't working on the right team. How do you know that? Because it says Balak was a, Balaam was a practiced divination. All right, so here's, here's Balaam, and uh, so Balak says, okay, hey, come on, I, I want to hire you. And he was willing to be hired right there. You don't, you don't use your gifting for hire. 1-800-GET-A-PROPHETIC-WORD. Anyways. Anyways. Numbers 23, verse 8. He gets Balaam, and Balaam's coming. And, and the Lord actually spoke to Balaam and said, go, I'm I want you to go. What's interesting, though, is Balaam says, okay. And then on the way, he gets interfered with by the angel of the Lord. And I'm kind of, but he, he said, go. He's going. I mean, why this interference? But the donkey sees the angel of the Lord, sword drawn. This is not good. The donkey takes off into the field. And Balaam's like, what is wrong with you? He chases him down, brings him back, lays a beating on him. You know what I mean? Everybody say, poor donkey. Poor donkey. I always think of Eddie Murphy when I read this story. I don't know why. <laughs> donkey. So anyways, then they start moving on, and the donkey can still see that this angel Lord there, and he tries to slide by on the side, and then all of a sudden freaks out again, and Balaam jumps off, whacks, beats the donkey again, and then the angel Lord moves down a little further where there's no room to get through. You can't get through on either side. The donkey just trembling won't go forward. And then all of a sudden the donkey says, are you so stupid you can't see that we got a problem here? 
And right then, it seems that Balaam was completely willing to have a conversation with a donkey. Not at all surprised that I'm talking to a donkey. The Lord will use donkeys. He might even use you. You know, donkeys are not his preferred method. You are. The glory is carried on the shoulder of the priesthoods. It's a sad thing when God has to use donkeys to do stuff. You know? But you know what? There's a, there's a lesson in the donkey, though. There's a lesson in the donkey that carried Jesus. Don't ever think that the cheering crowd is for you. You're just carrying the anointing. It's not about you. You just keep a noble gait and keep your nose going forward and realize, I carry the king of glory. He gets all the glory. But this donkey, again, gets these beatings, gets beat up, terrible stuff. And then finally, Balaam goes, and sure enough, the Lord says, don't say anything except what I've told you to say. So sure enough, this guy says, okay, let's do some sacrifices. Now curse those people. And it did it three times, and here's the word. You can't curse those whom God has not cursed. That was the word. He's looking for a blessing, and instead of a blessing, it's, you can't curse what God hasn't cursed. You cannot denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced. You cannot curse what God has blessed. Is anybody blessed here today? Numbers 29, 24, 9, like a lion they crouch, like a lion, like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. And when that blessing is on your life, that's the blessing on you. I am blessed. The Lord has blessed you. He's blessed me in a variety of ways. Blessed me coming in, blessed me going out. Blessed me in the city, blessed me in the field. Now let's get another verse here. We got the counsel of Balaam. Remember the counsel of Balaam, because here's Balaam. Balaam said, you can't curse what God has blessed. But somewhere in the line before Balaam left, Balaam said, I can't curse them, but I'll tell you what. Look, he said, if you can get these people to break law and break agreement with their God, you don't have to worry about cursing them. If you just get them to step outside of the boundaries of that covenant relationship with their God, you don't need somebody to curse them. They'll have some trouble all of their own. And this was called Balaam's advice. It was called Balaam's counsel. It says, look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to, trans, to trespass against the Lord in the incident at Peor. And there, the plague among the con- there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad that's old covenant stuff? Because you're blessed, amen? And so no matter what I do, I'm blessed. You know, you're always blessed, and you'll never change God's mind about you being his child and you being blessed. Let me just give you a little quote here. Because sin is its own punishment, God neither has to keep track of your sin or does he specifically punish us for it. The price of sin is automatically included in the cost. Well, I'm blessed, Pastor, hallelujah, but I'm terrified. I'm blessed, glory to God, but I'm fearful. I'm blessed, glory to God, but I sow strife with my tongue. I'm blessed, glory to God, but I bicker and I backbite and I gossip. I'm blessed, glory to God, but I'm full of pride. I'm blessed, glory to God. But sometimes I think we think the sins God is ignoring and doesn't keep track of are like the things we commit and the things we do. My dad always said, be sure your sins will find you out. And it's in numbers. My wife underlined it. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you might have trouble in your life. And, you know, God never, ever punishes for sin because the wrath, 
that was poured out on sin in the atonement. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Should you ever experience the wrath of God? Never. A believer will never experience the wrath of God. Will you bear in yourself the cost of your own sin? Sin has its own punishment. You do silly, silly stuff, and that's not God. You're not fighting against God. You're experiencing the consequences of your own nonsense. May the Lord bless. And God's not running away. God literally is in there with you still. He's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. He's never going to get upset with you or mad at you, but he is going to go, why are we going down here? Have you ever considered your pride? Why are you afraid? You know, they've already studied. Doctors have shown us clearly that most diseases exist not because of something that's wrong with you or even genetics. Even your genetics are not your genetics. Even if you're predisposed in your genetics to a certain disease or not, your genes are not turned on unless you embrace stress and fear and doubt. You literally switch that stuff on. That's been proven. And, you know, you can stop it at that generation and say, no, it's not happening. I got twin brothers, absolute same DNA. I got one brother is battling leukemia right now, and they said it's in his DNA. He's having a heart issue. They say it's in his DNA. I got my other brother, a total twin, who's not having any of those problems. And he said to his doctor, should I tell my twin brother to look out for this stuff? And he says, you should tell your twin brother to stay free from stress and stay free from fear. This was a doctor, a medical doctor. And he said, your brother clearly is processing difficulties in his life different than you are. And honestly, my brother, you know, that brother does. He literally, for whatever reason, I think he thinks it's his personal responsibility to worry for the whole family. And he seems to worry about everything all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I see that too, but I'm really not that concerned about it. And some people, you got that, you need to eliminate that predisposition to things that it's, it's harmful to you. We should talk about that more in our small groups. Amen? Because we should talk about what's happening here. And, and I'm definitely not opposed to different views of stuff. You're clearly allowed to disagree with me. Just don't be disagreeable. All right, let's keep going. I'm not, that's good stuff too, but you know what? I'm not going to preach on that. I'm not going to preach on that. But I am going to preach... On, we're going to start. We're going to start the sermon now. Okay, here you go. Places, say places, places. This is a place. This is Halls Harbor in Nova Scotia, and isn't that amazing? I, I believe I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong on this, but I believe it's where the largest tidal shift in the world happens. Thank you. See, you live very close to Halls Harbor. See, so she went to school in Wolfville, so it's not that far from Wolfville. My grandfather lived in Wolfville and pastored in Nova Scotia. And uh, this is where he went when he would go just to be alone with the Lord and to meditate. This was a place that he would go, a place where he was, he just found revelation. There was a place where he felt he could connect with God, and, and it was a place. And so whenever I go to Nova Scotia, I go there. And I go there because I remember, and I feel drawn there because I know my grandfather, my grandfather physically was there. He was there, he walked those grounds and he sat there on the benches and he looked at the ocean and he watched the tide and he received revelation from God. And when I go there, I feel like I'm connecting with something and I feel like I'm in a place. Here's another place. This is, this is another place. 
That's, uh, that's Lunenburg, and that's also in Nova Scotia. And my dad, now my grandfather and my dad, pastored in Nova Scotia. And Lunenburg, this was my dad's favorite place. It's where they built the blue nose. It's right there in the ocean. The fishermen go out early and things and stuff. And my dad used to love to just go sit on the benches in Lunenburg, and just sit there, open his Bible, and just wait on the Lord. And when we go back there, I always go to Lunenburg, too. I, last time I was there, I drove like to Bobby and Cheryl. I took him to Lunenburg, and I, I just had to go. I, I've got to go because there's a place. It's a place where, you know, I, again, I... I feel connected. I feel something. I feel this is a place where my father felt a connection and got revelation and feels like a place. So here's another place. Uh, let's see, now that's where I feel connected right there. That's where I wish I was right now. You know, and, and that's, that's Crane Beach in Barbados. And we go to Barbados every year. And every time I go, I go to Crane Beach because I love this beach. It's one of, the, one of the 10 most beautiful beaches in the world, in, in the top 10 list. And we love that spot. And so we go there. And it's awesome. It's an awesome beach. But you know what? I go there and I just, I love looking at the ocean and hearing the waves. And, you know, one time I was reading in, in John where it says, he'll give you grace upon grace, gift heaped upon gift, favor upon favor. And I'm there reading that, looking at the ocean. And I just, the waves coming and I just felt Lord speaking to me he says you see those waves never stop they're still coming there's waves way out there and they're making their way towards you and the grace of God is like that there are an infinite there's an infinity of waves of grace and favor and gifts that you you wake up every day and you are slammed with wave after wave of my grace of my favor and of my gifting and I'm like God you're so good and there's something beautiful in places where God can speak to you here's another place that's one of the only pieces of furniture I got from my parents' home. And uh, that was my dad's prayer bench. And, you know, I didn't care what else. I mean, but when, you know, mom passed away and it's time to figure out what we're going to do with furnishings, I mean, I went right over there and said, this is mine. And when I was a little kid in, in Peterborough, my dad, they, we lived in a house beside the church, and there was a yellow stained glass windows in the office where my dad would be. And there's sometimes I'd come home pretty late. And I'd see those lights on, and I'd know my dad was in the office. And I knew that he was likely at that bench. There's times when I would go, a period of time, I cleaned the church, and they threw me a few bucks for cleaning the church. And I'm vacuuming away, and there's times I'd walk in, I'd press the door open, and I'd look, and I could see, I'll leave the office, and I could see my dad's feet. I could see his feet sticking out from the bench. There's times I saw my dad in the place of engaging and connecting with him. There's a place. There's a place for you. And in Numbers, as we're reading, God established that there was a place. And he established a place. And we're going to talk about that place. So we're going to start right now. The place. Exodus 21, 13, 23, 25. Then I will appoint for you a place. I will appoint for you a place where you may flee. But if harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And that was the way the law was, right? And, and God set it up like that because you didn't have policing. You didn't have things going on. So God set it up that, you know what, I want to I wanna keep people respecting each other, respecting life. And, you know what, be careful. You know, you take out another guy's eye, you're going to lose an eye. And so they took this very seriously, very seriously. And so straight up, you took an eye. I mean, you're, you're swinging a hammer. You pull back, bang, hit me in the eye. Oh, you know, you dummy. I take yours, you know. Swing the hammer back, take out my tooth. I take out your tooth. Seems pretty, you know, crude, doesn't it? But this was pretty serious stuff. And then there was even straight up life for life. 
And it was set up that if you took a life, even if it was accidentally, the family of the person's life you took, they were to chase you down and take you out. I mean, this was a part, this, this was how they policed their community. This was how they built a culture of we're going to honor life. Don't mess around. Life is important. Be careful with life. And the way they did it was if somebody takes a life, we're going to show everybody how serious this is. We've got a responsibility as a family that if he took out our brother, we're going to take him out. Wow. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? That's the way it was. That was right there in Exodus. Matthew chapter 5, 38 and 39. You've heard it said. Jesus said, you've heard it said. He said, I'm referring now. I'm bringing your attention. And it's, and it's in italics because, you know, the word realize he's drawn from the old covenant here. And he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Don't resist an evil person. We got to resist the evil in our land today, Pastor. We got to stand up for righteousness. Hallelujah. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And you might think that's a crude law, but there's a lot of people still living their new covenant reality with an old covenant mindset. Hey. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek and say, can you color to my other cheek, please? You know, Jesus, the, the Sermon on the Mount was, was the law. He was teaching law, but he took the law and he jacked it up to a whole other level. Because he's telling you people, you people who think killing and fighting and, and bickering, and if you say an insult to me, well, I'll insult you back. If you think that's a way to live, that's not kingdom. It's not the way we live. But he set up a whole new way of living that honestly you can't live. Listen to this. Don't love one another. Don't even love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Agapeo. Your enemies. Hello? Man, what would a church look like that really loved their enemies instead of fought with them, argued with them, and constantly it was my job to point out, you're wrong about this. Hey. Still here, that's good. Praise Jesus. Folks, you, I don't have to press your imagination a lot to realize that there's a whole lot of people who think they're doing God's business and they're not doing God's business at all. It should look a whole lot more like love. It should look like a whole lot more like giving people what they don't deserve, your affection, your understanding, your forgiveness. That's some grace. Clapping section's over here. Okay, give me another slide just because i got to move on, all right? So Psalm 46 one says, God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble. This is all about refuge. It's about the six cities of refuge that they built. And it said, God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. Psalm 91, 9 to 10 says, because you have made the Lord who is your refuge, hallelujah, when you make God Almighty your refuge, when you establish that he is my dwelling place, look at the benefits. Even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. When you make him your refuge, when you make him the cause of every effect in your life, when you flee to him as the refuge for your life, it says no evil. It doesn't say hardly any evil. How many think no evil would be pretty awesome? How many have had some evil encroaching on your life just a little, the odd time? All eyes closed, heads bowed. 
When you make the Lord your dwelling place, when you make him your refuge, even the most high, it says, no evil will befall you, nor shall any plague come to your dwelling. That's a good word right there. Well, that's all prophetic about Jesus. Only he ever experienced that. We should never expect to have it, except in the sweet by and by, maybe we'll have that blessing on our lives. Oh, you have little faith. Did you guys all go home and I'm seeing a vision? All right, I don't know. Okay, let's go, go to Numbers 35, because here's the whole chapter here all about that. I don't have it all for you. are going to read some. You ready? Then the Lord spoke to Moses. When did the Lord speak to Moses? On the other side, before they even entered into the land. So he made this provision before they even entered into the land. The Lord spoke to Moses, said, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross into the Jordan in that land in Canaan, then she will appoint cities, cities of refuge for you, so that the manslayer who kills a person accidentally may flee. Why? Why does the manslayer need to flee? Because his family's coming after you to kill you. And they got a responsibility to do it. They are bound by the law to make sure that if you took out my brother, I'm going to take you out because we're going to make sure that everybody understands that life is important. Don't mess with it. Because they couldn't phone, hello, can you get the FBI? Somebody's kidnapped. They didn't have the FBI. They didn't even have the local police. They just had the police themselves. And this is one of the rules that God gave them. may sound crude. may sound like that. But you know what? He gave them that law, but he also gave them this provision. He gave them this provision. They shall be cities of refuge from you, from the avenger. So when the avenger comes to attack you, where do you put yourself? In a city of refuge. The avenger's coming, folks. The avenger, he's always coming, trying to, trying to scare you, flip you out, or, or take you out of God's purpose in your life. But you know what? you got a place of safety where you can run from the avenger, and he cannot touch you. When the avenger comes, that manslayer may not die. The manslayer will not die until he stands before the congregation in, ju in judgment. So literally, you're going to come to that city, and, and then even if the, the, the avengers come and say, he killed my brother, get him out here, Shh, hush. We're going to find out what really happened here. And if they found out that this was just a horrible accident, then that person was free from being killed. But back then, if they found out he really did intentionally murder that person, you had to have two eyewitnesses, two. You couldn't just hear about it. I think he killed my brother. I think he murdered him. There had to be two people with their eyes who saw it with their own eyes that he intentionally murdered that person. And if that were so and they had that, then the person would indeed lose his life. But if this was an accident, like you had an ax handle and you were like chopping wood and it flew off, got the guy and... That's total accident. But you know what you got to do? Because of the law, because these people are going to chase you to kill you, you got to run to the city of refuge. And I'll tell you something, folks. Every single one of us, every single one of us are under a sentence of death. Not you believers. But every single person who hasn't given their life to Jesus, you are under a sentence of death. But there's an opportunity for you to run to the city of refuge. For the wages of sin is death, and all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is a righteousness from God himself, Jesus Christ, who you can be set free from the avenger because you make use of that city. The manslayer may not die until he stands before, and they, they, have, a, they have a hearing. And these six cities shall be refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner. I mean, for any other nation, any other person, even somebody who was just visiting, somebody who was just like, I'm on my way to another nation, and I'm just crossing through, and accidentally with your car ran into somebody. Ah! 
you, even for you, this worked. You could go to a city of refuge. Everyone had access to it. Sounds like something, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like something? Everybody has access to that no matter who you are. Everybody come. Come one, come all. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So these six cities, they're places of refuge for anyone. Anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. Boom. But after the death of the high priest, now listen to this. After the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that was shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it. So God is saying the land is holy. I dwell in this land with you. And when the land is, is, is by blood, it is defiled. It says the only way the land can be redeemed is by the blood of the person who defiled it. And so God said blood's a big deal. Life is a big deal. God made life a big deal because God was going to give his life for your life so that you could exchange and you could have eternal life because he gave your life for his. His life for yours. Run back the tape. Except by the blood of him who shed it. But listen, when the high priest dies, listen. He said, therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of the land which you dwell, for the Lord will, for the Lord himself dwells with children. But listen, when the high priest dies, you get all your stuff back. So you stayed in the place of refuge, but when the high priest died, you get all your stuff back. I mean, this is incredible stuff. What are we doing with this whole reading of the Bible for the year? What are we looking for? We're looking for Jesus on every page. And this is all about Jesus. This is all a shadow and a type for you and things that you should really take to heart today. Give me another slide. These cities were places of refuge. Look at the seven things they were planned for. Way before they went into the land, already there was a plan. If you got into a predicament like this, God had already made a plan for you to be free from this situation. Number two, they were clearly placed. They were six cities. They were, to, they were to be, everyone was to be taught about this. You had to teach everyone about these cities. Everyone had to know that the rights that they had, everyone needs to know this. And they literally had to set up signposts and every spring they had to repair the roads. If a road got washed, out or a road was affected to any of these six cities, they had to, by law, put signs up and repair the roads every year so that they could get perfect access to these places. It is important that people can get to the city of refuge. The roads should be repaired. The signs should be there. There should be a clear demonstration to all. There is a place for you. Clearly placed, accessible to all, a place of protection. It's open 24-7, but when you come in there, you are protected by that city. You will never be judged by them or thrown out or told you can't come. 24-7, there is access, and you can come in. You will be protected, and in that place, you will experience the provision of that place. Their provision is your provision. So good. Please, settle down. It's a place of secured hope. It's a place of secured hope, and it's a revelation of the sanctity of life. Let me go through it just real quick with you. You ready? Give you a couple verses. First Peter 1.20, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. 
long before the world began, but now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. Jesus was prepared for you before the world even started. Just like Moses said, I've planned those cities before you even go into the land, before you even entered into, before you were even born, before you were twinkling in your daddy's eye, before the creation of the world, God planned for the redemption of mankind to be solely done through his son and the finished work of the cross. Man, it's so awesome. John 6, 36, all that the Father gives me, all those the Father gives me, they will come to me. Just come. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast them out. I've had people say, I don't know if I'm a believer. Did you come to him? Well, yes. Are you a believer? I don't know. Okay, let me run it through again. Did you come to Jesus? Yes. Are you a believer? I don't know. Then I go to this verse. I said, anyone who comes to him will in no means be cast out. It isn't, did you do? It isn't, did you perform? It isn't, did you say the prayer right? Or did you go through the 20 steps? Did you repent properly? Did you confess properly? I'm so glad it simply says, anyone who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Did you come? Did you come? Then you are a child of God, firmly gripped in his hand, never to be snatched away. Give you another verse. John 10, 28. And I give them eternal life. Say give. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You get in there, you got life. You get in there, you got protection. You got provision. You got security. Nothing can snatch you. No matter how many Avengers show up, he might have had a great big family, the person chasing you. Doesn't matter how many, you know, demons or, uh, you know, could be a whole flock of demons or a flock of seagulls for all that matters. Doesn't matter what comes, you're safe and secure in his hand and nothing can get you out of his grip. What can separate you from the love of God? John 1, 12, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. Another slide, boom. Hebrews 9, 11 to 12, he, Christ, came as high priest. High priest. High priest. High priest of the good things to come. Cities of refuge secured you hope for a future. I might have to stay here. I may have to abide. But when the high priest dies, everything is restored to me. My inheritance, my identity, everything that's mine, everything that I've been called and set apart to, it's all mine when the high priest dies. Jesus is your high priest. Because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, you have been granted access to everything that is a child of God's. And it's all yours because Jesus Christ is your refuge. He's your refuge. Not with the blood of the goats and the calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all. Once. You can't add anything to this at all. Once and for all, having obtained for us eternal redemption. Praise the Lord. Say praise the Lord, even if you don't know what's going on. I mean, say praise the Lord. He is so good to us. All of this stuff, so many pictures in the scriptures that we're reading, revealing when Jesus on the way to Emmaus, he showed them himself all the way from Moses and through the prophets. He revealed himself in the scripture. He's everywhere on these pages. 
Give me another slide. Boom, Joshua 27 to 9. This is where the six cities were named. Six cities were laid out by Joshua. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee. In your notes, you're going to have a map. It'll show you where they are. And all of those cities, all of those cities were in higher elevated places so that everybody could see them. It wasn't like I'm running here and then I go, where is that city? It was in an accessible place and a place everybody knew where it was. Jesus is presented in an accessible way. We are people who need to present him that he's available to all. And it's so easy, just like the serpent on a post, look and live, brother. This isn't complicated stuff. Kadesh in Galilee, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, Kirath Arba, which is Hebron in the mountains of Judah. They assigned Bezer, Ramoth and Gilead and Golan. Golan is where even today they make the best wine. They make the best wine in Golan, beautiful fields. In Golan, those six cities, Moses said, these six cities you set apart, and all of these six cities, not one of them is more than a day's journey to. So everybody had to have quickly, you had to go, uh-oh, I got a problem. Where's the signs? You know, when you got a problem, you look for that H, right? You might be in a foreign city or someplace you don't know, and you're looking for those H signs because you want to know where the hospital is. Well, you know what they set out? They put up big signs for a city of refuge this way. You know, we are the signs. We are the demonstrations. We are the vehicle that manifests freedom is this way. I am the gate. I am the pathway where you can enter in. I can reveal to you, look and live, brother. Look and live. And use words only if necessary. These are those six cities. Look at these six cities. Here's, every one of those cities has a name. And I don't believe a, a name. I don't believe a, a, a word is wasted in the scripture. I think the Holy Spirit's very specific. But look what it is. Jesus is your refuge. Here's, here's the progression of those names. In him I have a sanctuary, a shoulder that is offered in fellowship, a fortress where I am highly exalted with rejoicing. Wow, that's those six cities. When you look at how they're laid out in Scripture, what they're trying to say is that Jesus is a refuge for you. He is a dwelling place. He is a hiding place. He is a place, a sanctuary that you can run into. And in that sanctuary, you're going to find the shoulder of the Almighty where you can lean on that strong shoulder. And with that shoulder, it's going to be a place for you of fellowship, a place of union with Christ. And in that place, you're going to find that it's a strong place. It's a fortress. It's a place of safety and a place of provision. And you, who might have felt miserable when you entered in, you'll find that when you come to that place, you're going to be highly exalted. And that's going to cause in you a whole lot of rejoicing. Did you get it? No, I got to do it again? Okay. They're not that excited. Give me another slide. 2 Samuel 3, 27. It says, now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside to the gate. Now Abner, Abner had killed Eshael, who was the brother of Joab. Now if you follow the teaching today, what is Joab's responsibility for his brother Eshael? His responsibility is to kill Abner. I know that may sound crazy and archaic to you, and yet every day on Facebook, we're killing people with our words. Every day, we're picking sides and blah, blah, blah. And somehow, I don't know how we forgot the verse, love your enemies. I have no idea. Anyways, that's why I now call it antisocial media. I try to just put nice pictures, little verses, Happy birthday. And then get off as fast as you can. Okay. I got to leave that one really fast. Okay. So 
that's, that's his responsibility. He, his responsibility for his family is to take out Abner. All right? And that, that's, that's what he's got to do. So uh, we, know that, we know that Abner was the uh, general of uh, Saul. And we know that when David finally defeated Saul, David had a good heart. And like, he didn't go, you know, killing all these people. No, so Joe, when, when uh, Joab gets there, he's like, where's Abner? said, well, David released Abner to go home. What? He knew he killed my brother. I was looking forward to when we defeated Saul. I was looking forward to killing him. So when he found out that David said, go your way, says Abner then returned to Hebron. What is Hebron? It's a city of refuge. So he went to Hebron. Joab gets to Hebron and he says, hey, I hear Abner's here. Hey, just have him poke out his head for me. I just want to talk to him. Joab took him aside at the gate to speak to him privately, and there he stabbed him in the stomach, and he died for the blood of Asheel's brother. And then what did they do with Joab? Nothing, because he was totally within his rights to take him out. If you're outside the city walls, you can be killed. So if you don't come to church some Sunday, I'm not responsible. <laughs> the pastor ever preaches that please throw stuff at him people do people people have preached this like the refuge is the church refuge isn't the church refuge is jesus but people put a lot of they use the old testament put a lot of guilt and condemnation on people which is crazy but by the way you shouldn't miss church and sit near the front because judgment happens in the back okay so It's so easy to be mean-spirited. It is. Lord, forgive my pastor right now. I love him. Just bless him. Fresh anointing in Jesus' name. All right. Give me another, another slide. This is David now. David heard about it. David heard about what happened. He went, oh, I can't believe Joab did that. And the king sang a lament over the king, the, the Saul's general. David sang a lament over the guy who was trying to kill him's general. Love your enemies he sang a lament over abner and this is what he said should abner die as a fool dies why did he say that that sounds harsh doesn't it should he die as a fool dies were your hands bound did somebody have your feet in fetters i mean as a man falls before wicked men you fell he literally is saying you're at the gate of your freedom I mean, freedom is right there. I mean, did somebody tie you up? Did somebody wrap up your legs? I mean, were you so stuck that you couldn't move your feet? Why did you do that? You were right at the edge of freedom. You were right at the edge of salvation. You were right at the edge of your deliverance, and you died like a fool. Come on, stand up with me. Bow our heads. I mean, that sounds like really strong language, doesn't it? But David was like, there's a refuge for you. There's freedom for you. You know, the enemy wants to keep you from entering into the life of God. The enemy wants to hinder you from embracing the refuge that is yours in God. Anyone can have it. It is as simple as looking and living. It is not complicated. I want to ask you today, has somebody tied your feet? 
Has somebody tied your hands? Has somebody wrapped you up in a place that you can't access this gate? Has somebody limited you in such a way? Have you got something in front of you? Have you got some bitterness, some unforgiveness? Have you got some unresolved issues? Have you got something that is binding you up? You're right at the gate of freedom. Right at the gate of absolute liberty. Right at the gate where you can step into all the provision that God has won for you. Has somebody tied you up? Has somebody limited you? I mean, are you allowing some other experience, something in your past? Are you allowing something back there to be something that is going to encroach upon the liberty that is yours that you can step into just by looking, just by believing? You can enter into the fullness of all that God has for you. Your high priest has died. Your private priest has given his life. Your high priest has shed his blood. Therefore, you have access to every good thing. No strong word, David said, don't be a fool. You know what Job, it says that a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Jesus is here. He's right here. The gate to eternal life, the gate to liberty, the gate to freedom. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm not the high place. I'm not the inaccessible place. Jesus said, I am the door. And before you right now is an open door. Before you right now, you can step in right now to the fullness of God. All heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and all the believers are praying. Friend, <laughs> loved one, I don't know, I'm just, I feel so compelled. That I, please don't feel limited. Please don't let anything in your past right now try to lay hold of you or pull you back because right now I want to tell you that eternal life is yours freedom is yours breakthrough is yours life abundantly is yours right now and the door is right here and it's Jesus and I'm asking you today to use the door I'm asking you to say I believe that you are my Lord and my Savior I believe that you are the single way the one way that I just look and live and I get everything restored in my life. It sounds too good to be true. I'm telling you, it is the truth. Know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So today I want to ask you, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to go one, two, three. I do that just so you know when. I want you to know when, because I, I want you to put your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. And we're all going to pray together. But I'm going to count to three, and listen. If you know that you need to make use of that door, don't be like Abner. Don't let your past or, or don't be deceived. Don't be lied to because the door is open to you right here today. Today, you are in the valley of decision and today is the day of salvation. So when I count to three, and you know the Lord's touching your heart. I want you to put your hand up so I can pray with you. You ready? One, two, three. Just put your hand up right now really high, really high really high put your hand up so I can see it just lift it right up thank you thank you anyone else thank you anyone else anyone? you can do it right now still do it put your hand up all right you can put your hands down we're all gonna pray and I want you to pray if you had your hand up I just want you to lift your voice because everybody around you is lifting your voice so just say it with your voice it says we confess with our mouth unto salvation so speak right now you ready Say, Lord Jesus, 
I declare that you are my Lord and my Savior. I receive you in Jesus' name. So come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And now, Holy Spirit, would you testify with my spirit that I am a child of God. I'm forgiven. I'm healed. And I'm free. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Wow, that was good right there. Can I get those who are ministering at the altar to come on up here? Anyone, even if you're not supposed to be ministering today, it's not your day, could you come? Let's just get a, as much of a ministry team as we can. I just want you to pray right now. Just pray. I just want you to look to the Lord. You know, if there's anywhere in your life where you know you need to make that reality that Jesus is my refuge, He is. This isn't about, you know, being born again. This is about, you know, there's areas where I've, you know, I've stepped out. I've, 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 I've not stayed in that abiding place. I just, I just want to, I just need prayer. I need ministry. And maybe you just, you know, I need prayer for something else. Maybe, maybe you say, I just need somebody to agree for healing in my body. Maybe you say, I got a decision I'm making. I want somebody to agree with me. But whatever it is, there's an altar here today. There's a place. There's a place. God has established a place where you can come and you can meet with him. There's a place where you can get prayer and you can get ministry and you can be healed and you can get wisdom and revelation. I'm going to pray for you all. It was a good day. Wasn't that a good day? You're allowed to say amen. <laughs> I think it's a really good day. It's been a really good weekend. Father, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your incredible love for us. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that, you know, when I'm in your hands, anyone who comes to me, I will not turn away. And you said, anyone who comes to you, you'll never relax your grip on us. And I thank you that we are in the firm grip of your hand. We thank you that we are indeed the children of God. But we want the full revelation of that to be evident in our lives. And we just pray, oh, Jesus, be big on the inside. Manifest your kingdom in and through me. I bless this house, Lord. I bless each and every one in it, all that they hold dear and all that they are. I command it to be blessed, and it is blessed in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for your great love for us. Let it be a great revelation of your love. We thank you, Jesus, that we are joint heirs with you. Thank you that we're seated with you. Thank you that you have lifted us up and you've made us to be kings and priests of the Most High God. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you wrap us that you put us on like a garment and that you animate our lives every step, every day. I just command your richest blessing on this house and each one in it, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.